0: you emailed me because you wanted to make a podcast.
1: Yes, we want to make a podcast
0: about open science. Yeah, I know what science is, but I'm not pretty sure if I know what open science is. Hi, welcome to the Road to Open Science podcast. My name is Lieven Hermans, and the person you just heard me speak to was Sanli Faes. He's a physicist at Utrecht University. Actually, what you just heard was the first time we met and the start of our journey on the road to open science.
1: It's pretty difficult to put open science into one box because it's like an umbrella term that can be attributed to several types of practices. But actually, we also want to make these practices clear in this podcast. Maybe I should give you some example. Take a researcher. The researcher has an idea, does some research on this idea, gathers data, gathers evidence, processes those data, and writes them up and publishes them. And I would say conventionally, this is the conventional process of doing research. But in open science, people argue that all these steps of doing research can be done more openly, transparently, and documented in a way that can be reused. Because if you can reuse them, you can check them, it will be more reproducible and other people don't have to repeat the same things so there will be less waste and more productivity. So in a very basic way it comes down to making the process of science
0: more transparent.
1: Not only more transparent but also more reusable. The process of science is already quite transparent but to make it more reusable and more widely accessible and why do you want to make this podcast now we want to make this podcast now putting university in the center of attention because university is a big organization but not so big that nobody's in charge and it involves all the main actors that can make actually new practices become reality and become mainstream It involves policymakers. it involves the researchers, it involves people who maintain the research infrastructure. And to have open science in the mainstream, all these people should come uh, on the same page.
0: Do you have any idea who we should talk to, who has maybe done some research on this topic? I have some
1: ideas. We have a list of people that uh, we can talk to, but maybe we should look at them together. Hey, me park party. So,
0: Good to see up? you again.
1: Thanks. So, did you check the list? Yes.
0: We found someone, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And he agreed to, do, uh, to interview. His name is uh, Sascha Friseke. He is at the Freie University in Amsterdam. He has done a large meta-research on why people uh, share their data and why they don't. And
0: what I also liked, because I read his book... It's called the uh, Opening Science. It's a nice title, right? And uh, I read this chapter and he basically sees Open Science as a social dilemma and I think that's a really helpful way to look at the problems we are facing right now. So we hopped on our bikes to our first stop, the Vrije Universiteit, or VU University in Amsterdam.
2: Uh, so my name is Sascha Friesecker. I am an assistant professor here at the FU. Um My title, I think, officially is called Digital Innovation, but we are a big team here that looks at what digitization means for any type of organization. And so I, basically, in my research, always look at uh, what digitization means for the emergence of new knowledge, in a way. And that's also why I look at scientists as an organization form. And I'm also an associated researcher at the Alexander von Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society in Berlin, which is also my former employer. A couple of years ago, we wrote um, a book called Opening Science. And in that book, we wrote a chapter called Open Science, One Term, Five Schools of Thought. And in that, we basically explained that we met different people or read lots of articles where people have a very different point of view, and basically we found five different ones from which they argue what open science is. And if you think about it that way and understand that there's actually five different kind of points of view on talking about open science, then this mismatch that you see where people talk about different things starts to make sense. People say that science needs to open to the general public or the rest of society, because they fund most of science, they should have more say in it, should be more participatory, and they call it open science. And then other people say, well, scientific results should be clearly replicable, it should be that the entire process should be more open and also call it open science. But these two people talk about very different things, but it's both labeled open science. When we start with, Having a definition, it would be so wide that basically people would say, "Well, that isn't that a definition of like best practice in science in general?" So I wouldn't start with a definition. I would rather look at what do people argue should be opened and why.
1: Hmm. But if open science is just a new term for best practices, shouldn't every scientist simply feel
0: obliged to take this route? Well, in theory, yes, but in practice. Things are obviously always a bit more complicated. According to Sasha, many scientists are actually caught in a thing he calls a social dilemma.
2: So, a social dilemma basically is a situation like a clean park where the individuals' interest is not necessarily in line with the interest of the general public. So if we talk about the park example, it's very easy for you to litter in a park because you have very little to lose if you, I don't know, put your garbage not in the bin but next to the bank where you're sitting. But if everybody does that, the park is not usable anymore for the general public. Yet the incentive for the individual to clean up, After themselves is kind of limited. And it's called a social dilemma because the goal you have for the general public is not in line with the goal of the individual. And we see the very same thing in in many of the discussions in open science, where oftentimes it is argued from a system perspective. The academic system would be better off if we would be more open, yet the individual scientists Is not necessarily seeing the same incentives as the system as a whole.
0: Can't this dilemma be resolved?
2: Yeah, I think many people that go into looking at open science think it's kind of obvious what needs to be done. And then after a couple of years, leave frustrated or write a long blog post that we have the same discussion again after five years that we had five years ago. But underestimate how complicated it is to change culture, and especially in academia where we have a very decentralized culture. If you have a large organization and you have a new CEO and the new CEO says, we have new values, these are the new values, then that kind of trickles down through the organization. But in academia, we see an enormous amount of of past dependence in the academic system. Just the fact alone that we call the output format the one output format that everybody is interested in a paper in a time where everything is digital anyways, and we still call it like the physical artifact that would used to be printed on, I think is one tell. Um, a colleague of mine always called it Stockholm Syndrome, academic Stockholm Syndrome, That basically people made a career because they had to suffer through a system. And once they are at a point that they can dictate what future generations have to do, they basically say, and they also have to go through the same thing I went through. And I think the biggest issue I currently see is that we have a very monolithic culture in regards to research outputs. That basically the only research output that is really evaluated is a paper, and because of that, every single thing that anyone does needs to turn into a paper. Well, currently we could also do very different things. Someone could do a podcast, someone could do a platform, someone does just data, someone provides people with research software but all of these are typically not tied to individual incentives and with that they are like kind of second second-grade citizens in the academic system and i think that is the the major obstacle we're currently facing we write too many papers too many of them are irrelevant and instead we could use that time more productively by doing something that actually has an impact to whatever community we would like to have an impact on
0: actually Sasha has also gathered some empirical evidence that shows the emphasis on publishing papers discourages researchers to do more useful things, like sharing their data.
2: So, what we did, we did a large survey with, I think, 1,500 German academic researchers on their data sharing behavior from different disciplines. And the most surprising thing I think we found is when we started this research, we thought that one of the main barriers to data sharing is probably that researchers don't want others to see that they made a mistake. So they basically want to hide the data. It's kind of like an hypothesis we had. And what we found is that that actually isn't the case, that researchers kind of believe in the academic system and that there should be some form of quality control. And that all the actual barriers we found are very closely tied to the publishing system. So they would say what stops them from publishing their data are mainly two things. One is the time it costs to make that data available for others and that that time is an opportunity cost in which they cannot publish an additional article, while others would use that time and in a competitive system would publish an additional article. And the other thing they were afraid of was that if someone sees my data and my data is interesting, that someone else will publish an article with my data that I might also be able to publish. So they basically sit on the data because of the publishing system which also shows that the incentives clearly favor article outlets or papers but not data. And if data would have some form of adequate recognition, then they wouldn't have this feeling of opportunity cost, but would rather say, first I do the paper, afterwards, I publish the data or I publish the data first, and then I collaborate with whoever's interested in it. But these, this collaboration aspect is apparently not that strong for them. And this was across disciplines. We found that always the two main drivers were I, would like to publish with it later on, or if I invest the time to document this, then I don't have the time to publish. In a social dilemma, individual rationality leads to collective irrationality. And individually, it is the best strategy to basically produce a lot of individual research articles. Collectively, we suffer from an avalanche of articles where many people ask, why there are so many articles, and many of them are irrelevant. And would be better if we would have more collaboration, more thorough research, more research that is done by larger teams that have larger data sets and actually can say more, can find more rigorous and relevant findings. Well, individually, we actually have an interest to they call it uh, salami tactics to churn out as many articles as possible because individually, that's what brings us further.
0: We asked Sasha how he thinks the university could remove these barriers.
2: I don't think that a purely bottom-up or a purely top-down approach to get to open science will work. I think it is such a multifaceted and complex problem that the only way to solve that is if people from all levels kind of work together and say this has a value for us, we would like to move a little bit more into that direction. And if everybody involved kind of does his or her part to move into that direction, then we have a chance. But if we say, well, those up there have to make a decision, and before that I don't move, and if they up there say, well, the, the individual scientists should do whatever they want to do, if they think it's a good thing they should do, I think both of these aspects alone will not work. In a way, I think everybody has to be a part of this discussion. Institutions alone cannot change it because they depend on the scientists actually wanting to do that. If you roll out a policy and the individual scientists isn't convinced about the policy, they will only do it to a degree that they have to, but they will not really put the effort to excel in it. If only the scientists think that something is a good idea, but the institutions don't back it and don't promote it in a way, then over time scientists feel frustrated, might leave, might go somewhere else, but don't have a great relationship with the institution.
0: So is there something you would give a higher priority?
2: I think one thing that's urgent and that um always try to talk to people about is that a lot of the discussion about the importance of open science happens between the same people. And these people are already convinced that it's important, and they discuss about minor details of basically the rollout. But the more important thing is to get the general research on board, to have more people's attentions on why this is important, and also explain to them what that means for them individually.
0: So we can use the frame of the social dilemma as a prism also to find a solution, right?
2: I think in a way um, to to look at science through the lens of a social dilemma helps in the development of policies. So oftentimes you have individuals that do something that might not be in line with the actual incentives that they have simply because they believe in it. And oftentimes these cases are taken and then it's presented as, here, look, it works, what are you worrying about? But to look at what are the actual incentive structure then helps to understand why most people behave in a certain way and only when we understand why most people behave in a certain way we can define and develop policies that help shift these activities a little bit towards a more open science.
0: What do you take from what he says, Sandy? He talked very articulate. Uh,
1: He was some sort of He said he acts in a radio
0: show or something like that, right? Yeah, we're going to put the link in the show notes.
1: Oh, okay. Yes, I like the social dilemma framework because it clearly analyzes the problem and says that individual researchers have to make sacrifices if they want to do what they think is right for the whole system. And because every person has to pay a small penalty in changing his or her daily practices into more open science practices, it doesn't happen in a massive scale. And that should be fixed. I feel that because all these open science practices that we consider they take time, people have to put the time from other activities uh, to do these things. But at the end, they are not counted in their evaluations. And it's for some people seen as an opportunity
0: cost with no return. Exactly. So I guess we have to talk someone at a higher level now because they are the ones who can change the structures of how university is actually organized. Yes, and we had this in mind, right? That's why we
1: contacted the board of the university. I got a message back from them. Uh, they told me we should talk to Frank Miedema.
0: Do you know who Frank Miedema is? Yes, he
1: is the dean of the uh, medical
3: faculty. I'm Frank Miedema, I'm the dean of the medical faculty and vice chair of the board of UMC Utrecht. And I've been doing that for more than nine years already.
0: We will hear from Miedema after a short break, in which we will listen to a couple of short messages from some fellow travelers we met on the roads to open science. First, a few words from Konrad and Matthias.
3: Dear Road to Open Science listeners, this is Matthias Fromm. And Konrad Förstner. We would like to kindly invite you to our podcast, Open Science Radio. Over the last five years, we've been producing German and English episodes covering basically all aspects of open science.
2: Next to episodes about news from the Open Science Movement, you will find several event-related episodes such as reports from the Open Science Barcamp or from conferences such as
3: Wikisite or the Open Science Conference. In addition, you will also find interviews with experts and community members as well as special topic episodes introducing selected aspects of Open Science. So, we welcome the Road to Open Science podcast to the community of science-related podcasts and wish a good start and hope for a long-lasting contribution to the Open Science discourse.
0: Bye. Bye! Next up is the Open Science Massive Online Open Course, or MOOC. Here's a message from John Tennant.
4: Hi, everyone. My name is John, and I'm the founder of the Open Science MOOC. This project is currently in development and represents a community-driven initiative in order to help increase the adoption of open science skills for researchers around the world. This is part of global progress towards more open research practices, where often the pace of policy development seems to be outstripping the pace of adequate training needed in order to achieve those policies. The idea for the MOOC took off in around 2017, and now more than 150 people have signed up to help develop content for the MOOC. It was catalyzed by several reports from the European Commission, which outlined the importance of training researchers in the skills they needed to practice open science, but didn't provide any exact concrete examples of how to get there. For us, open science is about increased rigour, accountability, and reproducibility for research, all hallmarks of what high-quality research should be by default. The MOOC will have ten core modules. These will include reproducible research and data analysis, open collaboration, and public engagement with science. It brings together hundreds of existing projects and resources to provide the basis for developing new materials to train researchers in the open science practices they need in order to excel in a modern research environment and beyond the academy. Naturally, everyone is invited to participate in the project in whatever capacity they wish. All content development is currently happening on github and will be openly licensed for reuse. We are currently developing the open source and open research software module as a pilot and are very excited for what the future holds. Our goal is to have each module openly available to anyone, as well as to deliver it into graduate schools around the world. Ultimately, we want open science just to be known as science, as that's when we'll know we'll have been successful. For more information, you can check out our website at opensciencemook.eu.
0: Thanks for listening. All right, back to our main topic. We met Frank Miedema, Dean of the Medical Faculty at Utrecht University,
1: Frank Miedema and three other people, years ago, they wrote a document, uh, a white paper, about the things they saw are going wrong in science. And they also started this uh, platform, which is called Science in Transition. They made some headlines and their opinion pieces were everywhere, even in the Economists, on top journals. Uh, what they were saying is that there is something systemic wrong with the,
3: with the way science is done and we need to fix it. So, uh, when we started this, this science and transition debate, uh, I had not realized, to be very honest, in 2012-13, I had not realized that open science could possibly take care of most of our, say, critical points. And the critical points were uh, abuse of metrics, abuse of only articles, and that say, uh, patents, okay, patents, but, say, uh, tangible products like somebody who uh, makes a machine or, or, uh, or an, um, uh, an app for, for instance, rehabilitation sciences, uh, a new method for for uh, learning you to, to, to talk again after a stroke. Hey, that's a method that is not... Of course, it can also be written up, but it's, in essence, it's a method. So I have to be very honest. I discovered open science... Um, four years ago or something, and then I realized, oh, but this is exactly what we can also use to solve most of the issues that we had put on the table in the analysis of science intercision.
0: We asked if he agrees with Sasha's analysis that people who want to do more open science are facing a social dilemma, and he says he agrees.
3: So the dilemma is that you're asked to share your data and ideally that would be the case, sharing your data, being open and not sitting on your data until you have been milking it to the end. Having that said, the dilemma is that is exactly how you survive and how you make a career in science. So the idea how to make a career in science nowadays and open science don't go along. They're detrimental to each other. So it's sharing your data is detrimental for your career now. Because then you cannot make your next high-impact paper from the same data. Uh, and this is, this is a huge dilemma because many people are not in science to make a career, but they want to do something in the real world, for real people, for the good life. And that dilemma can only be solved if we change the incentive and reward system. Rewarding people for sharing and not for publishing papers. Well,
1: agreeing on the diagnosis is a good first step, but what about the cure?
3: I think that um, we we realized what's going on. we realized that the incentive and reward system has been developing and has ev- evolved over time to just go for papers and not only papers but also papers with specific high impact et etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So this this is a game that has sort of um, developed over time. I'm 64 now I have seen it happening since I was 30 everybody has seen it happening and sort of unconsciously it, it just happened no, no, nobody is guilty this is just how, how systems uh, evolve and all of a sudden we are in a situation where only papers and only high impact and high impact of a specific type is being appreciated at the same time All of the time, people have been warning against it. People have been warning against proxies for quality, which are not good, papers uh, in nature, which are not nature papers. The only thing that can really change this uh, and keep us from going, going even further is management of universities, management of big funders to say, stop. We have to think. We have to realize that we are not doing the research evaluations in a proper way. We have to really go for content. We have to realize that there are differences between cancer genetics and radiotherapy or, or rehabilitation sciences. We have to also act upon it. We don't have to say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's very complex. No, we have to say, okay, then we have to act. And therefore, we have to realize that this will not change if we not change the incentive and reward system.
0: But how should this change happen?
3: We hope, of course, that with the national platform Open Science, with what happens in FP9 in Europe, we hope that this will be the mainstream. So we hope that in the in coming five to seven years, people will realize that we have to not count those articles anymore, which, of course, in most of the cases are not making the promise that this is the way to do it. And of course, it's a portfolio approach. And there will always be people who do very basic stuff and they want to have their nature and science papers. That's good. But we have to say that's nice, but we also need a lot of other research. And so it will be a mixed bag. And in that case, everybody can survive. I'm sure that in the coming years, and you already see it happening, also in other universities, that, uh, and also in Europe, that the large funders, they will not go f- for articles anymore and, and high-impact journal uh, papers, but they want to have, in our case, with respect to patients, outcome. They want to see outcome, real benefits for patients. And so I think that uh, the Bill & Melissa Gates Foundation, the Wellcome Trust, the European Community And uh, even our own charities, uh, the KVF, uh, Nierstichting, uh, Longfonds, they all go in the same direction. Because papers, my boy, they don't cure patients. Of course, there's also still a lot of room for basic science. So sometimes people say to me, ah, but now you're against nature and science publications. I'm not. I'm against the idea that that is the only science we have to do and that the other people are not respected.
1: Uh, But you mentioned this the way you uh, have been trained and also other senior scientists yeah. uh, of your uh, generation have been trained and they are now the people who evaluate and they yeah. mostly evaluate based on their own training and gut feeling yeah. than based on the advice or the protocol always given to them so it's always difficult to change that uh, as you said yeah. overnight. So how in your organization are you planning to bring the seniors or the R4 researchers the the, the yeah the advanced career researchers on board of this change in the paradigm?
3: Yeah, so there are two things. So it's a little bit paradoxical. So on the one side, people who are over 55 or over 60 who are REVs their career is set and everything is fine, like, like in my case, they can go along and they can say, yes, okay, yeah, this is more relevant and this is better. And uh, yeah, but of course we were, the system was making us behave as we did in the early days. The older you are, the easier it should be, eh, in fact. Of course, some of the people are so addicted, but most people, they realize, yeah, yeah, if we can change and if we can change without putting the system on tilt or whatever, um, then, then it should be done. There are people in the mid-career, and they are the most, uh, say, vulnerable. So if you are mid-career PI, say, 40 years of age, you have your first grants, etc., and you have built your CV based on these, say, classical metrics criteria, then it can be scary because then you say, who is to be trusted that if I would change my behavior, I would go for open science and share my data using ORCIDs, etc. And, and, and all nice. But how can I be sure that the next dean is also be trusted and that there will be consistency in governance? And this is really a, a question I always get m- many times, even uh, last week, uh, two times already. You could say it's even worse for people who are just now finishing their PhDs. Because they say, okay, I will, we will not produce six, seven papers for a thesis anymore. We will have two or three really good papers. And we can also show that there is a lot of meat in those papers. It's not only to, to produce a paper. Uh, how can I be sure that when I do an application in Charité in Berlin or in, I go to Leuven or to go to London, that people will see through and then they will understand how my resume is being built and, and where I am. If open science will be mandatory, if this will be the, the large movement, then all of Europe is going to be uh, included. If the charities, and the, the, the welcome and Bill and Melissa Gates and the NIH, if they will all go in this direction, which apparently is going to happen, if you now uh, see the science, and I'm very positive, but not naive, so I think there's a lot happening, then I can tell these people, yes, it will be a little bit scary for the coming five years, but this is really going to happen, and you will be fine, so stick to it. But... You have to trust me based on my blue eyes for the the time being.
0: Miedema has pushed a new set of criteria for evaluation within his own organization, which is less based on metrics and works more like a portfolio. You can find a description of their evaluation methods in the show notes. Who developed them?
3: Uh, I did not. There was a group of people uh, under the the chairmanship of Professor Marike Schuurmans and there were, uh, say, well-informed people in the committee. Rince Benedictus, uh, he is one of the staffers who is very well aware of these studies. He was uh, sort of secretary to the committee and uh, this was happening two years ago already. So they came up with a scheme which is uh, generic, but you can immediately see what the value is. It's very much what I said. It's about end products, but it's also about process how are you designing your process? Are you connected with the patient? Are you connected with people who are going to use your data? Are you connected with people who can help you getting it to the market, et cetera, et cetera? And also non-commercial. Also, are you connected with people who could take it as a service, et cetera? And so uh, after the pilot, we have been evaluating it. And uh, for some reason, most people find it extremely logical. Yeah. And it's also published already, say, widely a couple of times. It looks very much like the... The scheme for career advancement that was designed by the Open Science Group in Brussels. Yeah. But do you see this rollout in other faculties of the University of Utrecht, which is very close to you? I think the people are watching us and you see that people are sympathetic to it. And they, of course, everybody is a little bit afraid for the resistance. Because the resistance, of course, is coming from those scientists who were always the elite and on top. Because they don't need this issue, but if you, for instance, in 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 UMC Utrecht, if you were in geriatrics or rehabilitation sciences or sports medicine, or GP science uh, or, or whatever, these fields they they didn't get into high impact journal, uh, so they could not they could not stand the game with uh, the classical genetics, for instance, and so these people, of course, they feel better now and feel. Um, yeah, more honestly evaluated because it's not the classical metrics anymore. It's really about what do you deliver and how good are you compared to what is normal in your trade.
0: Minema also told us how team science can be evaluated in the academic world.
3: My ideal is, 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 is as follows. So for instance uh, take the issue of uh, stroke. It's a very complex say pathogenesis is very complex epidemiology complex very complex social, social structures, etc So to study stroke and also to study, say, rehabilitation after stroke and etc uh, extremely complex, uh, say, problems have to be solved at the same time to, to, to be have optimal clinical care and innovation of care for patients. A team that does research on stroke could be 20 people, 25. So are you going to uh, evaluate all those 25 uh, researchers or are you going to say, no, this is a volleyball team? Uh, they play volleyball and, uh, and they have a coach. They know uh, how their team is optimally composed. They know uh, who the setters are and the strikers, etc. I, I used to play volleyball. So eventually, the success of that team is very much dependent on how they are working together, whether they have the right setters and the right strikers and the stoppers, uh, passers. And in fact, even in science, you could say, well, I don't care I will judge a stroke team based on output, clinical output, uh, innovations, uh, publications, also uh, whether they, how they are being judged and reviewed by peers, uh, real peer review, uh, understanding, not read, not counting, but reading. Uh, and then, of course, you could say, well, I could, I could sort of give an evaluation of such a team. And then, of course, very say deep into it, uh, a specialist could say, a peer reviewer could say, well, I think that the epidemiology part of this team is too weak, or the genetics part is too weak. But in my mind, that should be left to the team itself. They should know where they're, like in volleyball, you know, your strikers aren't good enough, you have to hire or train better strikers. Uh, and so I think where we go is we will say, well, we will judge a team, and there will be people responsible for their team, for instance. And the dean will, uh, I will look at the, the stroke team as a team and I will say, yeah, I see that you're lagging behind and uh, you have to improve your team. But I'm not a person who do it. They should say, okay, but then we need another setter, for instance, metaphorically. And so this is probably the way to, to really, uh, say, evaluate team science. And how do you think we should get more people on board to reach this goal? yeah we we i think we just have to begin it's, it's we are we are at a very very early beginning still you have to realize and this is for the whole university Utrecht, eh? so we really are starting and we have this nice we have a nice uh, say uh, proposal from the committee really it has to happen now we have to it's just beginning yeah and people are you now just trying to find out how are we going to do it yeah it's going to be work, hard work you have to explain people what is going to happen, that it will take time and, and that it's not their fault they are not bad people if they feel a problem and this is how the system works against them and that we have to help them and that everybody in fact who is who understands science knows that we have to go in this direction but everybody feels the same pain
0: to conclude our first episode Sunli and i met again and talked about what we learned okay so We talked to Frank Miedema. What do you take from his conversation, from his standpoint as a dean?
1: Frank Miedema clearly is completely aware of the resistance and the changes that has to come uh, in the whole organisation. He gave some good advice that we should talk to uh, people, especially those who feel the change is coming too rapidly and may put them at a disadvantage. What I got from the discussion with Sasha was two things. The first thing was that the discussion around open science should include more people and not only the people who are already active and convinced that open science should become the main practice of science. Then the second thing was the discussion about the momentum that the evaluation practices have he mentioned that the people who have gone up the ranks through the current system based on their output and based on the current criteria they are now in the hiring and the grant committees and they still maybe
0: uh, they are stuck to the old system
1: scientists are not only part of the university but they are also part of the bigger community And in many of their practices, they follow the unwritten social rules of their community rather than the policies of the university.
0: Yeah, it's a culture thing, basically.
1: We need a culture change, I guess. And this should happen at the same time that the people talk about it, but also the organizations should try to change their evaluation practices to promote this culture change.
0: Yeah, and that's what I take from Minema. He's actually 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 doing it, changing the evaluation structures from just counting output to actually reflecting on more. It's more like a portfolio. What you attributed to what kind of research? That's true. He really didn't explain what
1: this portfolio is and how the new evaluation system works. Maybe we should give some uh, references in our show notes because uh, it's pretty sophisticated, but it has been published.
0: What I liked about Frank is that he, he made it very clear that changing towards open science is going to be a lot and hard, also hard work. So what do you think should be the topic of our next episode? Well, now we have seen uh, the research on the social dilemma that brings forward the social dilemma within open science, but also seeing how the policymakers are very open towards open science. Um, I'm interested in these personal efforts that scientists deliver towards putting open science in practice, even though it's basically a personal effort and there's no reward for them for
1: their career. That's right. This extremely interesting for me as well to learn these young people or many people who already Do the open science practices, why do they do it? And how do they manage? What is their motivation? How do they make time for it? And uh, what do their colleagues think about them doing things differently? How do they get encouraged? How do they find each other? Can we learn something from them? Because even within the current system, they have found a way to engage in... Uh, science practices more openly to share their data, to share their methods, and they have actually shown that it is really possible to do it. Maybe they also have some grievances and uh, they feel some pain, so that would be also interesting to reflect on. So I'm very curious. Also at Utrecht we have seen that a grassroots community has been formed, it's called the Open Science Community, and I think we should also talk to these people who have initiated this community to find out what are their motivations and uh, what are they going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do that.
0: I hope you have enjoyed this first episode and will join us on the trip down the road to open science. Actually, we want to get you involved. What do you think we should focus on in our future episodes? Since this is a podcast on open science, you can join the discussion on the portal of Utrecht Open Science Community and on Twitter. Please find the link to the discussion forum in the show notes. We will also publish the complete interviews with Frank Miedema and Sascha Frieseke on our feed and share the link on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at r 2 Podcast with a numeric 2. In the next episode, we will talk to four young scientists who are actively pushing for more open science activities and we'll ask them how they feel. Don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned. The Road to Open Science is brought to you by the Utrecht Young Academy in collaboration with Utrecht University Library and the Open Science Task Force. Jeroen Bosman and Bianca Kamer helped us with the research for this episode. Marisa Mol is our communication manager Musical production and mixing is done by Simon Ackermans and Moreno Hogervorst. This show is produced and edited by Lieven Heremans and Sandy Faez.